All right, would you please take the word of God and turn with me to Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 26. We're going to read here in just a moment, verse 1 through 11, but I want to remind ourselves of the timeline because there's words here that Paul says that I think would help us and encourage us. But remember back in Acts chapter 21, we saw that the Jews were intent on killing Paul because of his preaching of Jesus Christ. Remember, it was the Jews that were from Asia Minor who saw uh, the Apostle Paul there in the temple, and they remembered him preaching all throughout Asia Minor, and so they were upset about that. And so they drew him out of the temple. They were beating him, and in the midst of them beating him, the Roman chief captain and the soldiers intervened. Uh, it was not, by the way, it was not lawful for the Jews to take matters into their own hands. So the Romans intervened. And then in Acts 22 and 23, we see that the chief captain brought Paul before the Sanhedrin council because he, he wanted to hear about the crimes against Paul. What was the uproar about? And it was clear to the chief captain that Paul had committed no crimes that were worthy of death. And so in Acts chapter 23, we saw that more than 40 men made a vow that they would not eat or drink until Paul had been killed. And so word came back to the chief captain and of the intent of the Jews. And so he sent Paul to Caesarea with an escort so that he was safe uh, under Governor Felix. And then in Acts chapter 24, uh, the Sanhedrin council came to Caesarea to bring their accusation against Paul before Felix. And the result was really a standstill. And Paul was left bound in Caesarea for two years until the governor's rule ended. And so in Acts chapter 25, which is what we studied last time, the new governor, Festus, uh, takes up the case against Paul, and it's been two years. Uh, the Jews wanted Paul brought to Jerusalem so that they might kill him. Uh, there was another conspiracy. And Festus did not allow that, although he did ask if Paul would voluntarily agree to go to Jerusalem, which Paul denied. And uh, Paul refused, and he appealed unto Caesar in the last chapter, uh, because he saw that Festus was struggling to really give Paul a fair trial, as there was a lot of politics involved at that time. And so now we come to Acts chapter 26, and we find that Paul is given an opportunity to speak uh, for himself. You remember, Festus comes to King Agrippa, uh, because Festus didn't know what to do in this situation. Paul had appealed unto Caesar, but Festus uh, could write no crimes against Paul to justify sending him to Rome. And he basically tells King Agrippa, you don't send a man to Caesar if there's no crimes listed against him. And I'm not sure quite what to write. There is no crime. And so Acts chapter 26 says, Paul is given an opportunity before King Agrippa and Festus to speak uh, in defense of himself. But we noted the, we noticed the crowd that was there, who was present. Uh, before we read 26, chapter 26, notice chapter 25, verse 23, who was present on that day. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come, and Bernice, with great pomp, and was entered into the place of hearing with the chief captains and principal men of the city. At Festus's command, Paul was brought forth. So notice who is there. You have King Agrippa and Bernice, uh, believed to be his sister. 
Then you have the chief captains. Notice, not just the chief captain who was in charge of Paul, the chief captains of the region. Uh, these chief captains basically represented all of the men of the Roman army that had command of soldiers. Uh, they, they typically would be in command of about a thousand soldiers. And so the chief captains are there. Uh, then you also have, the Bible says, the principal men of the city. So the dignitaries, the men who had some type of authority, you might think of a, a today a mayor or a city council and so forth. The, the powerful people, of the most of them were wealthy people. And then you have Festus. And so there's the crowd. Now these are the dignitaries, the important people that are there, but you can imagine there's a great crowd that is gathered there to hear Paul. And so immediately we think, what an opportunity for Paul to testify before this great group. Great or uh, not great in the sense of spiritually great, but great in the sense of the number and the opportunity as far as the scale. Paul hasn't really had the opportunity to have the scale of influence to testify to as we find here. Uh, maybe comparable to Athens, but uh, certainly not in Jerusalem uh, with regards to not just the Jews, but also the Romans. And so let's read here Acts chapter 26. We're going to begin uh, really reading the, the beginning of uh, Paul's testimony. So Acts 26, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, if you are able to. Acts chapter 26 and verse 1, And the Word of God says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise are twelve tribes inst instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints that I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. I would like to bring your attention to verse 6. Paul says, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God. I'd like to preach a message that I've entitled this morning, The Hope of the Promise. The Hope of the Promise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray that you would help us to uh, not only uh, understand uh, the circumstances of the Apostle Paul, but also that uh, his life and how he conducted himself 
might be helpful to us as we seek to uh, conduct our way, our lives in a way that would be pleasing and honoring to you. I pray that you'd help us to see also the great motivation uh, behind Paul's conduct as he mentions it in this passage. And Lord, that we might have the same motivation in our own lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've repeatedly said as we come to those last chapters, really since Acts chapter 21, through the remainder of the book of Acts, we find Paul not in his capacity as what we might refer to him as a missionary, or although he does some preaching as a preacher, he is not standing in that capacity. He is a prisoner defending himself. We might say that as we look at the end years of the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, he is not in favorable circumstances, but as we made note of, when we look throughout the epistles, the prison epistles, the epistles that Paul wrote while he was in prison, that was not Paul's perspective. Paul was not depressed. Paul was not down in the dumps because he could not freely move about and establish churches and preach the gospel wherever he pleased at the command and the direction of the Holy Spirit. He couldn't do that in that capacity anymore. He is in bonds as it is described in the Bible. And I am uh, helped really by the interactions of the Apostle Paul uh, because we know why he is in this condition. He is in this condition because of the preaching of Jesus Christ. Uh, clearly, when they drew him out of the temple to beat him, it was because they remembered him going all throughout Asia Minor and preaching Jesus Christ. And they couldn't stand it, and they wanted to stop it. And their intent in chapter 21, chapter 23, chapter 25, even here chapter 26, the intent of the Jews is to kill the Apostle Paul. How does Paul respond to this? This is unfair. Uh, this is not uh, what we might refer to as justice, but yet his conduct is not really instructive to us, who really are not, none of us have dealt really with what Paul is dealing with. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, even though we may not deal with the degree of what the Apostle Paul is dealing with, Whenever we deal with anything, how do we respond? What is our conduct? And we learn from our circumstances that our conduct in difficult circumstances is reflective of what needs to be worked on in our lives. Uh, you know, sometimes we go about our lives and we may see ourselves as doing pretty good. Uh, with regards to maybe uh, spiritually we're doing well and it seems that our life is going well and we may be uh, happy and, and rejoice and be an encourager, but, but maybe if our circumstances change, we find ourselves uh, in our conduct changing to where we are no longer encouraging others. We, we are actually discouraging others by our speech. And as believers, we have to learn uh, to conduct ourselves in a way that is pleasing to God no matter what our circumstances are. And really the New Testament here, and particularly the book of Acts, and those last chapters of the book of Acts is really Paul's personal influence and testimony before a lost world. 
By the way, those who are observing Paul are those who know that they are treating him in an unjust way. They know it. He knows it. Everybody knows it. And we might think that that would give Paul uh, justification to act in a way that would not please God, but he does not. When we read those words, as a matter of fact, it's quite compelling to see his life. Even then in Acts chapter 27 and 28, it's, it's quite remarkable how Paul conducted himself. And so I want us to learn. Uh, we may think of Paul thus far in his ministry and say, well, I'll never be a preacher like the Apostle Paul. I, I'll never be a missionary. I'll never be a church planter. But we can be a Christian just like he was a Christian in those circumstances. As we come to our text, we read as we go through those uh, verses, I'm going to just highlight a few things and then bring our focus to uh, Paul's interaction, his disposition, uh, how he speaks, and, and see if we can learn some things. But in verse 1, we note immediately that Agrippa gives Paul uh, permission to speak and Paul, the, Paul stretches forth his hand and answers for himself. Now, it's interesting that uh, there's a turn of events uh, that's going to happen in this chapter, in this opportunity that Paul has. By the end of this proceeding, it's Agrippa and Festus are actually going to be on the defensive. <laughs> See, Agrippa says, all right, you're permitted to speak, you're permitted to defend yourself. And by the end, uh, Agrippa says, well, I almost believe. It's like, well, who, who's on trial here? Well, we might say that Paul is on trial, but Paul is going to turn around and Agrippa is going to be on trial. Because then Paul's going to ask a question by the end of the chapter to Agrippa. says, believest thou the prophets? He puts Agrippa on trial. And so in this instance, we're going to find the, uh, it's going to be turned around and uh, Agrippa and Festus are going to be on the defense. And Festus is going to end up saying to Paul, you're mad. You've lost your mind. And so while this was a trial over whether the law had been broken, it turned out to be an opportunity for the hearers to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me encourage us today that as Christians, whatever our circumstances are, we must seek for opportunities to uh, turn discussions in our circumstances to the Lord. Uh, by the way, that's something that we have to ask the Lord to help us with. But we must actively seek for opportunities. In other words, what I'm saying to us here is, if Paul was stuck in his circumstances, the extent of his conversation would have been this. This is unjust. This is unfair. There are no witnesses. There is no crime. That's it. But that's not where he stops. Although he does mention that, he turns the conversation and then we know that he that is his emphasis and that is his intent because then he asks a personal spiritual question of King Agrippa. As if now Paul is the judge and Agrippa is on trial. And so uh, we see that he turns that. And so this clearly shows us here the, the heart of the Apostle Paul. Where was his heart in those difficult circumstances? His heart is still with wanting to see people saved. Now, if you notice the end of the chapter, uh, when uh, we'll just briefly look at the end of the conversation, when he asks King Agrippa in verse 27, um, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. 
And then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day. Remember, there's a great congregation gathered on that day. Were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor and Bernice, and they, had, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. And so Paul, notice, he says, I wish that everybody was where I am, except these bonds. You see, the heart of the apostle Paul, as he's looking around, and here is the king Agrippa, Festus, Bernice, and the chief uh, captains, and certainly the Jews were gathered, the, 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 the authorities of the day, they were all there. And his intent is not looking down on these people and saying, what have you done to me? Is I'm concerned for your souls. You see, that's where his heart is. Are we not so quick when maybe somebody does something against us? to immediately regard that person as an enemy and to at the very same time discount the worth of their souls. We are quick to do that. But uh, Paul doesn't do that and what an example indeed it is. And so we cannot separate ourselves. If you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to go back and forth there in 1 Peter, but, but Peter when he writes... First Peter, he is writing to believers who are dealing with persecution. We might say just like Paul was dealing with persecution. And in First Peter chapter 3, uh, notice what he, he says in uh, verse 15. He says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now notice we, we read that. You've got to be always ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. But what's the first part of the verse? The first part says, notice, verse, uh, but sanctify, 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Ah, how can we be ready always to give an answer? Something has to be true in our hearts. The Lord has to be sanctified. Something has to already have happened in our hearts so that we can give a testimony that would please God outwardly. And so that is what Paul does. We cannot separate sanctifying the Lord in our hearts with being ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us of the hope that is within us. And by the way, he says there, and we'll revisit that in just a moment, but he says, while, he's reading, writing to those believers, while you suffer wrongfully. That's the context. Now, with this opportunity, notice uh, Acts 26, verse 2, uh, Paul begins to speak, and I'm really arrested by his words and his terminology. If you remember when the Jews were before uh, Felix and, and Festus, remember they, they were kind of trying to pump them up and trying to influence them. Uh, not based on witnesses or true crimes that had been committed, but they were, uh, you know, kind of trying to draw them away by flattery. And uh, how does Paul address King Agrippa? Verse 2, I think myself happy King Agrippa. Now, I, I stopped and I, at first I was like, well, Paul is happy. Uh, that, that word happy, basically, here's what Paul's saying when he says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa. Now, he gives the reason. Because I shall answer for myself this day 
before thee as uh, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. He asked at the end of verse 3 for Agrippa to hear him patiently. In other words, this is going to take a while. But, but please, would you bear with me? But notice he says, when he says, I think myself happy, the word happy means I think myself most blessed. I am the most fortunate man. I am the most well-off man. Notice the words. I think myself happy, King Agrippa. And so I want to pause here and I want to maybe insert myself into the scene and I want to talk to Paul and say, did you miss something? Did you miss something, Paul? What do you mean you are most blessed, most fortunate, most well-off and most happy? What are you talking about? The Jews saw you in the temple, and for no reason, they drew you out, they beat you, they wanted to kill you, then the, uh, the, the, the chief captain intervened, and the soldiers, then after you were in prison, uh, brought to the Sanhedrin council, there was a conspiracy against you. Remember, uh, uh, your nephew came to you and told you, 40 men had made a vow, that they would not eat or drink until you died, and then you were brought for protection into Caesarea, and, uh, and the Jews came up, they brought false accusations, and by the way, because of the whole politics, you were left in prison for two years with no justification. Uh, Felix wanted you to pay a fine, although you'd done nothing wrong. And now after two years, a new man comes on the scene. He doesn't know what to do with you. He's trying to please the Jews, but yet he doesn't let you go. And, and he, he even wanted you to go appear before the Sanhedrin Council, although you were a Roman citizen. Everything in your life has been unfair so far for the last two years. Wake up, Paul. You cannot be happy. Isn't that what we do? Maybe with ourselves? Why? Well, because of our circumstances. We, we have to focus on what it has happened or is happening to us, and so we can't be happy, but that's not what Paul says. As a matter of fact, he doesn't say, he doesn't say you know, I'm okay. What does he say? He, he says, I thank myself, King Gruba, because... Uh, I think myself happy, blessed, fortunate, well off. You see, Paul had the ability to count himself most blessed in those circumstances. Most blessed in those Circumstances. Uh, by the way, he would write to the church at Philippi. And remember, he had been imprisoned wrongfully at Philippi. But now that he is in prison again, years later, he writes to the church at Philippi and he says this to them in chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul had the ability to count himself blessed in his circumstances. As a matter of fact, as we'll see later in this very text, he, he talks, and in the, the epistles, uh, he, he talks about how his bonds are his bonds in Christ. That, that he is a, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so not only do we see that he had the ability to count himself most blessed in those circumstances, and let me ask you this this morning, and this is pointed, but how do you feel about your situation? How do you think yourself? 
in your life. Can I encourage you? We're going to find in this passage here is, if, if Christ is in your life, no matter what the circumstances are, you can count yourself most blessed. By the way, why? Because here's what Paul does. He says, here's where I was before I was saved. Here's how I met the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is how I live for the Lord all this time. So here, by the way, all of this, by the way, if, if God had not intervened in my life, I would not be in prison today. Right? If he hadn't been saved, if he hadn't been preaching the gospel all, the years, all these years, he would not be in prison. And so, yet he says, I'm, I'm most blessed. Go back with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. When Peter writes to persecuted Christians who are suffering, I want you to notice with me 1 Peter chapter 3. Notice verse 14. Here's the context. 1 Peter 3 verse 14. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness sake. Let me ask you this. Is Paul suffering for righteousness sake? Absolutely. What does he say then? Happy are ye. Ah, so Peter agrees with Paul. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Uh, Here's the truth here. There are too many Christians today who are troubled by circumstances in the world. And all they think about and all they talk about is how everything is going wrong and they are not able to count themselves happy. And we say, well, why is that? Notice, Happy are ye, be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Now, let me ask you this. Did Paul know before he went to Jerusalem that he would be in prison? He knew. It was told him several times. There was a prophecy about it. Agabus told him, uh, if you do this, that'll be bad. And so the others that heard it uh, compelled Paul not to go. Uh, The Holy Spirit told him that he would go to Jerusalem and be in bonds. And so he already knew before he went there, and not only did he know that, and he knew what happened. When it does happen, he counts himself happy. What does that tell us about Paul? He was not afraid. He was not afraid. Let me ask you this. What are you afraid of today? What are you afraid of? There's so many things that we can be afraid of. But let me ask you this. Is that God's will? Is that God's will? He says, If ye suffer for righteousness, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. He says this in verse 15 of 1 Peter 3. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to everyone uh, that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And notice verse 16. Having, and I've been preaching about the conscience on Wednesday, having a good conscience. That whereas they speak evil of, uh, of you as, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Do you see here the connections that are made? Paul knew that when he went to Jerusalem, he would be in bonds and he would suffer. He, needless to say, went there and he suffered wrongfully for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the gospel's sake. And he learned in that moment 
to be happy, not to be afraid of them. And he saw it, look at he saw it as an opportunity because his conscience says that even though they were speaking evil to him and although they were accusing him of being an evildoer, he had an opportunity to have a good conversation in Christ. You see what he did? He saw it as an opportunity before evildoers to shine the light of the gospel. You know what the problem is today for Christians? And I'll just be blunt with you, is we run away from everything. We run away from everything. Talking to a pastor who started a church in Washington and uh, Washington State. And when uh, COVID happened and everything shut down, well, the whole church was decimated. And everybody left. Everybody went to Texas and Florida. Why? Everybody's afraid. And the church was decimated. Mister, is that God's will? You see, as Christians, when we are overwhelmed by our circumstances and we want to run away, we do the opposite of what Paul did. He said, here, everything's against us. There's evildoers. But here's an opportunity for me to shine the light of the gospel to the lost. By the way, he knew before it would come. And he still did it. He knew before it would come. And he still did it. And he counted himself. Notice, how can he be so happy in that moment? He's not happy because of the circumstances. He's happy because he can shine the light in the circumstances. You see the difference? So where was Paul's focus? His focus was not on his circumstances. His focus was on him shining a light. Where's our focus? today. We have to ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves that question here, if you suffer, First Peter 3, if you suffer wrongfully, he says having a good conscience, remember we're supposed to keep the faith two Wednesdays ago, with a, in a good conscience. How can we have a good conscience and every time something wrong, we get depressed and we get uh, overwhelmed and says, oh, well, if God didn't make everything easy for me, then we could, uh, if only he did that, then we could serve him and then we could shine a light. Where does that come from? That's the, the, the uh, idea today that's infiltrated churches today, this prosperity gospel that if you just become a believer and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, everything's going to be peachy and fun and happy and nothing bad's going to happen and God's going to make you rich. That's a lie. It's a lie. We should see an, our opportunity to shine the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He had the ability to count himself blessed in his circumstances, and therefore he had the ability to deal with respect with his enemies. Do you see the respect here coming from Paul? I mean, you think that he, he would be enraged. He's not enraged, as a matter of fact. You know what he is? He is under the control of the Holy Spirit. You know what? You look at the world, you can see a pretty good picture of rage. Overreaction. The Christian should never overreact. Should always be under the control of the Holy Spirit. We go on to read. He says in verse 4, he talks about his past. And he goes on to speak of those things. Uh, and so, uh, l- l- let me, m- m- me stop here. Uh, but as we think about, uh, go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'll stop with this thought.
But when he talks about suffering, I want you to notice here what he does. In chapter 2, he spoke of suffering. But he tells those believers at that time, and by the way, 1 Peter, there's pretty good evidence of those who were being persecuted. Uh, you think under the rule of Nero, I mean, it's quite awful. If you read even just history, not the Bible, but just history, what, how Nero treated the Christians there uh, and all that happened, it, it, uh, some of those things I can't even say from this pulpit. They are so vile and repulsive. But I want you to notice the example he gives in chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. And notice what he says, verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when he be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Verse 21. So, well, give us a frame of reference. Okay, here's the frame of reference. For even whereunto were ye called. Let me ask you this, Christian. What are we called to? I mean, what are we called to? Are we called to riches and uh, pleasures and big houses and no oppositions and no suffering? That's not what we're called to. So, well, I didn't know that when I would believe that that was the deal. Well, now you know. Now you know. Even whereunto were ye called because, here it is, because Christ also suffered for us. And notice here, he didn't just suffer for our sins. That's not what this context is about. The emphasis is not on him dying for our sins. The emphasis is on he left us an example. Notice, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Let me ask you this, Christian. If you want to run away from suffering, are you following the example of Jesus Christ? You're not. He who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus knew it was coming and he went through it anyways. Paul knew it was coming, but he went through it anyways. He left us an example that we should follow his steps. Here it is, verse 2, 22. But hey, Jesus is much better than we. Why? Well, he who did no sin... Neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. Uh, when he was threatened, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Let me ask you this. Have we committed ourselves to him that judges righteously? Or do we want to just take things into our own hands? And when we are reviled, we got to revile back. And when we are threatened, we got to threaten back. No, we commit ourselves to the care of God. Verse 20, 24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we ye are, were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And so back in chapter 3, then in verse 14, But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. Why? Because our identity is in Christ. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. 
Do you know what fear is? It's a problem of the heart. He says, notice it's one thought. If ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, semicolon, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. How, how are we to deal with fear? Sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Be ready to give an answer to everyone that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Why? Because this is about having a good conscience toward God. Because, here it is, that they may speak against us as evildoers, but we have in that moment an opportunity to be like Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity to win them by our conversation. I don't know how much influence that had on the life of Paul. But Paul was there when Stephen was stoned to death. Maybe, I, I, I can't say with certainty whether that had an influence on him or not. But do you remember the conversation of Stephen? They gnashed on him with their teeth. They were vile and they were wicked. And just like Jesus Christ, he didn't revile back. He didn't threaten back. Remember what he did? He committed himself to God in that moment. And I would say that in that moment of trial and death, when he committed himself to God, I don't believe they killed Stephen. I believe God took him. He took him. He saw the Lord in that moment. And so the Apostle Paul was a witness to that. Could it be that if all we do in our lives is seeking for ways to avoid suffering, that at the same time we are forfeiting an opportunity to shine as a light. So which one do we want? Do we want to say, all right, what do we rather? What do we want in our lives? We have to make that decision. Do, are we okay with suffering because we get to shine the light? Or we just say, no, I don't, I don't want suffering and say, well, that means that I won't, I, I won't have an opportunity to shine the light. You make the choice. That's the choice. And so may the Lord help us in that way to be like Jesus. I believe Paul, in Acts chapter 26, was following the example of his Lord and his Savior, Jesus Christ, who suffered like no man suffered. And because of that, he was able to count himself happy.